0: Welcome to The Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In this episode, we continue our discussion about the doctrine of salvation, specifically the application of salvation, the security of the believer, and our assurance of salvation.
1: Hello, Church and Guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines. And Pastor Joe Sorgen. Welcoming you to another episode of The Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be looking together at chapters 56 to 57 of Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, which continues his section on the doctrine of salvation by considering what the Bible teaches about the application of salvation and the security of the believer. So let's start with the application of salvation. So essentially, how are we saved? What what happens in, in, in our salvation, our conversion? And we'll start with where Ryrie starts, with the doctrine of conviction. And that is found primarily in John 16, verses uh, 8 to 11, talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So what is essentially being said here is that uh, in order, one of the works that the Holy Spirit will do uh, in our conversion is this ministry of conviction. The word conviction essentially means, the NIV translates it, uh, to be proven to be in the wrong. Okay, And specifically, the, the Holy Spirit will convict the, the world right, through the uh, ministry of the word from the church uh, that we are wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And these are the three basic issues that really need to be corrected before conversion can occur. So a person needs to be convinced he's a sinner who's not believed in Christ. He needs to be convinced that only Christ is the righteous son of God who can give righteousness by his saving death, which was vindicated by his resurrection going to the father, as Jesus says. And then finally, he needs to be convinced that he will experience the same judgment Satan initially faced when Christ triumphed over him at the cross and will fully face Christ's return. We need to be convinced, convicted of those things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then, uh, when we are convinced of that, convicted of that, we are able to recognize, okay, well, uh, if I'm a sinner, if I'm unrighteous, and only Christ can give it to me, and if I'm going to face judgment, then I need to come to Christ, because only he can give me what I need. Uh, One example of this is in 1 Thessalonians 1. Four to nine, where Paul reminds them how, through his preaching uh, ministry, the Holy Spirit came and convicted them, so that they believed and so that they were saved. Uh, verse four says uh, that the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And in verse nine, we see the results of that: so that they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. So um, it's kind of like a courtroom. We are the witnesses, and the Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. And as we work together, building a case for Christ and a case against the unbeliever, he or she is convicted of their sin. They're convicted of Christ's righteousness. They're convicted of their coming judgment, and therefore are ready to helplessly cling to the Savior. And so, uh, this is the the, the first, um, the first doctrine that is key to the application of salvation. Before we can be saved, the Holy Spirit needs to come and convict us of these things. Anything you want to add to that?
0: Well, I would say, you know, without mm-hmm. conviction happening, uh, salvation wouldn't happen. Because if we're not convicted of our sin, we don't recognize we're sinners mm-hmm. and we'll never be saved. Yeah, And uh, I think that's especially key to to this doctrine of, of conviction.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think one application of this is, um, this is therefore something we need to be praying about i think often people what should i pray about like for my unbelieving friends and family god save them right and of course that's a good uh Mm. a good prayer or god uh, bring them to faith in christ again of course that is his will and 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 that's something that in scripture we'd be encouraged to do but something even more specifically we should be praying for is lord convict them Mm. holy spirit bring them to this point of conviction where they recognize their helplessness so that they can then come and helplessly cling to the Savior in faith. Well, let's move on. Uh, another important doctrine in the application of salvation, then, is the doctrine of calling. What's that about?
0: Yeah, so calling, uh, we get that from a few different places in the Bible. But the the idea of of calling is that it's God's general invitation uh, for for men to come to him. And so one place we see this is in John chapter 7, verse 37. And uh, that's when Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This general call that Jesus has, right? If anyone, very, very general, as general as you can get. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Again, the the idea of that is uh, salvation, it's available. It's here, come to me. And then the thing is, some respond in faith, not all. Some respond in faith, and that results in salvation. And uh, and this is is very key. Uh, we also read another passage in the book of Matthew. So I turn there quickly, Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen, uh, and it says this: For many are called, uh, but few are chosen. So again, that idea. There's this general call, but yet there is still uh, only some. Who actually respond in faith? Who are are chosen? And, and uh, <clears throat> I think that's that's uh, really important to note here. Um, but why why does this doctrine matter to us? Uh, you know, what's the practical application? Well, I think we get a bit of the practical application of this from Romans chapter ten, uh, verse seventeen. I'll just read that and uh, and make note of something here. So it says, "Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ." So this general call you know, it's out there for everyone. But the thing is, people still need to hear the call, right? People need to hear, if you thirst, come to Jesus. And so uh, this is telling us here, verse 17, it's our job to tell people the word of Christ. You know, this is very connected Mm -hmm. to the word. And you'll actually, you may have noticed too, with conviction, how does the Holy Spirit convict? Often through the word. And now we get to calling and how does that happen? Again, it comes back to The word and there's a responsibility on our part as well to do some of this calling as well Mm -hmm. of course there is this general call but we are called to do it because faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through
1: the word of christ Hmm. yeah that's good well the next uh part of this the application of salvation uh once we're convicted once we're called is regeneration now that's a term it's only used twice in the new testament and most important is in titus 3 verse four to six says this, but when the goodness and love and kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. So what we see here is that regeneration is connected to our salvation. And we see that it's not something we do. It's not, based on our works of righteousness. It's something God does to us by his mercy, specifically through the Holy Spirit. And he uses uh, another word here, renewal. And that's a little bit helpful understanding what regeneration is. It is a a renewal, but more of that, it's, it's being remade. It's being made a new creation. It's being given new spiritual life. We know from, for example, Ephesians 2, that we are all born dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, and that's a spiritual death. But regeneration is that process by which we're given new spiritual life. And a term that is used more often than regeneration is this idea in the New Testament of being born again of God. And that's, of course, something where Jesus famously says uh, to Nicodemus in John 3, first verse 3, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom God. Of God, That which was born of the flesh is the flesh. That which was born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This spiritual renewal and the spiritual uh, being remade new life. That's what the doctrine of regeneration is all about. And uh, it's something that happens in us through by the Holy Spirit. But again, just like conviction and calling, uh, the word of God is key to this. And we see that, uh, for example, in first Peter, Uh, first Peter chapter one, verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So when the word of God, the living word of God is, is preached and presented and that call goes out, the Holy Spirit, not by anything we do, uh, comes and gives us new life. Okay and clearly there's a connection between that also and faith and this is something that we see uh, in John as well in John 1 verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but god now there's there's a bit of a debate about what the order is in that do we have faith in him and then are born again? Or does he first regenerate us and cause us to be born again so that we're able to have faith? Or do those things happen simultaneously? Well, it's not abundantly clear. I think what we can definitely say is those two things go together. And if we are believers in Jesus, then we are born again. We have this new spiritual life. Uh, as Paul says in Second Corinthians five seventeen. you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are spiritually alive. Uh, there's this illustration of this that I have never used in a sermon because it's a little bit on the edge of things but I thought maybe this was a good example maybe you've heard this before but uh there's this story I heard a long time ago about this um uh this this farming family way back you know in in the boonies or whatever they'd never been to the big city years ago and they they make a a trip to uh, some big city and they come to this big skyscraper and uh the, the mom and, and, and daughter go up shopping and the, the dad and the son, they're, they're not sure what, what to do. So they go to the skyscraper and they're like, what is this? These doors open, people walk in and then they disappear. What's going on? So, um, they pay attention and he sees, well, this, uh, this, this older woman going in and she gets in and all of a sudden, ding, 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 ding. Okay. What's happening? Then the doors reopen. And what happens? This young 20 year old, beautiful woman comes out and he's like, wow, that's amazing. What is this machine? And, he says to his son, "Quick, go get your mother." <laughs> uh, does that cross a line? I don't know. But anyway, that's kind of what happens to us when we are born again. It's just in a moment, in an instant, by the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're we're remade, we're we're made new. Although probably a better would be um, the essentially, in a sense, what happens to us physically at resurre- at the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. We were dead physically, and Jesus will rise us up physically. In the same way at regeneration we are dead spiritually and he rises up spiritually. The old is past the new has come.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and with new life as well it means that there's also going to be new fruit that mm-hmm. uh, that we would be bearing as well which yeah. uh, the Bible tells us quite a quite a bit about even you know when we talk about being brought from death to life in Ephesians chapter 2 and in, in that classic passage it all ends in verse 10 with uh doing good works that we've been called to do beforehand by by God, and so uh, new life should lead, hopefully, to to new fruit as well.
1: You know, and one other thing, too quickly, it also reminds us that um, conversion and, and becoming a Christian is a supernatural act, <clears throat> right? It's not something that just okay, jump through these bells and whistles, right? Raise your hand, make this decision, sign this card, done, or, or whatever else, do this ritual, whatever. No, it, it, John, you know, made it really clear again in First John, or sorry, in John uh, chapter one. Uh, verse 13 we were born again not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god there's a supernatural act that has to happen and it happens in connection with faith in christ all right well that takes us to the next doctrine which is key to the application of Mm -hmm. salvation which is faith. faith exactly and we're
0: talking here about about saving faith and uh you know there's different uh different definitions that people give to to faith here I like to simplify it as much as possible and just say trust. I think that mm-hmm. that's really maybe the, the best way to think about saving faith. It is it is simply trust. And when we are talking about how do we, who or how are we doing this whole acting of, of putting our faith in or trusting? Well, we're, we're trusting specifically in the person of Jesus that we read about from, from the word. And being confident that he can remove the guilt of sin and give us eternal life. That's what we are putting our faith in. That is what we are trusting in. And, uh, and you know, the Bible really puts this quite simply. Another word that the Bible would, I think, often use that is synonymous with faith or with trust is belief. You know, John 3.16, uh, a classic. Um, for God so loved the world that if any, uh, oh man, that was not right. For God so loved the, loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, again, that word believe, shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever puts their faith in him, we could say, whoever trusts in him. The idea is all the same, but whoever does this is granted eternal life. And uh, and it's so key. It's so important. It matters so much because we read that salvation always comes through faith, uh, mm-hmm. Ephesians two verse eight. It's by grace through faith. It is so so key, and and it's also important because when we recognize that salvation comes through faith, it reminds us of that grace. It reminds us that there's actually nothing we can do outside mm-hmm. of trust in in what God has already done for us. You know, no no works is going to get us salvation. No works is going to grant us entrance into the kingdom of God. Uh, it's simply faith.
1: Yeah. And uh, another synonym that I just read in John 1, 12 is receive, right? Mm-hmm. It's a receiving yes. of a gift. That's what believing is. And so uh, faith, we have to get the direction right. Faith is God to us and us with open hands receiving. It's not us giving something or committing something to him. And, and we'll talk about that a bit more, I think, in our next episode. Um, of course, too, you know, uh, Hebrews 11.1 one actually gives us a definition of faith. Yes. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There's this confidence uh, in the promise of Christ and what he's done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That when he says, I hear, I give you eternal life, believe. We can have confidence. That's true. Uh, that's, and that we can then receive it. Um, Sometimes too, there's been, faith has been broken down into different, sort of different um aspects or facets of faith and i think there's some that can be helpful to some degree Mm -hmm. just to understand what we mean by by faith because sometimes that can be a bit confusing And, and i've always put it this way that you know different ryrie put it a little bit different but um i think there's there's three aspects to faith first is comprehension i mean we have to know the facts we have to know that jesus is the son of god in christ who came to live and die and rise again for our sin so that he can offer us eternal life those are the basics of of who Jesus is of his person and work that we have to understand before we can be saved And of course there's other things too we need to understand that we're sinners right there's conviction that need a savior but there's those basic facts we need to understand and comprehend and then we need to be convinced of those things we need to be convinced that that's that's true intellectually but there's one more aspect of this as well that I think it can be kind of helpful to think through is that also there's an act of the will. And I think the synonym trust is helpful. Trusting in someone is not just a mental, yeah, I agree with that, but it's an yeah. act of the will. And so I would say it's not just comprehension. It's not just being convinced of something, but it's, as Hebrews 1, 11 1 says, confidence. It's putting our absolute confidence in Christ as our only savior. So it's kind of like if I said, you know, I'm, I'm coaching my kid in, in soccer, which I once did. And, uh, you know, he gets a penalty and it's the last seconds it's tied. He has to go in and make the final shot, a penalty kick. And I come up to him and I say to him, son, I have faith in you. Uh, go and and do what you got to do. Go and score. I I have confidence in you. Right. That's what that means. I I have faith. I have confidence that he can do what he needs to go do. Right. Um, another image that sometimes is helpful as well, maybe you've heard this before, is of a chair. Right, I can comprehend this is a chair, and uh, I can understand what it's about and what it's meant for. Uh, I can have complete, uh, I can be completely convinced that that chair is made for me, and if I sit in it, it will hold me. But I need to then put my confidence in that chair by actually sitting down, right? Uh, and that's what faith is or another image would be you know a child who is trapped in a fiery inferno in a house and the fireman is down there and says jump i'll i'll catch you well you can comprehend what's going on and understand who the fireman is and the danger you're in and that he is able to uh save you you can put your confidence in that but until you actually jump right until you you actually put your confidence in him in that way and trust in him um you don't necessarily have faith in him and what he's offering. And the same is with Jesus. Is that helpful? I think so. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on now to the second uh, chapter 57, which addresses the issue of eternal security. Now, I I really like, um, Ryrie, Ryrie gives a really good basic definition of eternal security. He says, it's the work of God that guarantees that the gift of salvation once received is forever and cannot be lost sometimes the catchphrase for eternal security is once saved always saved and yes I mean that's that's true but I think there's a little bit more to it than just that it, because the focus is on God it's on him never letting go um of us and never uh letting never never um, abandoning us I guess you could say or saying you know what you're not saved anymore right I saved you once but you're not saved anymore. See you later, right? Uh, rather, it's God's uh, promise that when we are eternally saved, we have eternal life. Nothing can take that away. Now, there are a lot of reasons we believe this, a lot of biblical evidence, and we'll just touch on a few really quickly. Uh, John 6:40, Jesus says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Right when Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in Him, they can't take it away. It's eternal, Mm -hmm. Uh, and He promises, "I will raise Him up on the last day." Nothing's going to change that, right? So all these promises in John's Gospel—there's like over ninety of uh, them—where He talks about believing in Him or the synonyms and how that um, is how we receive eternal life. Well, by the offer of promise of eternal life, Jesus never breaks His word. So eternal life is eternal life. He's uh, gonna—we can't lose that. Uh, But another passage in John. Uh, that's even more well-known and connected to this is John 10, 28 to 29, where, well, I'll start actually in verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. So essentially what he's saying is you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose eternal life because the Father and I will never lose you. We will always hold on to those who belong to us um to to those who believe in us um what do you have a few other thoughts to that too maybe other passages we could look at
0: yeah another passage would be in ephesians chapter 1 uh, verse 13 and 14 it says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, you know, at the moment we were saved, we were given the Holy Spirit as a seal uh, that this is true. We have this gift of eternal life. Again, eternal life is in fact eternal. That means it doesn't end. And we have the seal of it, of the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance when we get that eternal life in fullness. Of course, mm-hmm. we, we have it, but yet we wait for it. It's that weird dichotomy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's a great one. Um, ceiling, right? This idea of like, I often think of a cattle brand, right? I mean, that brand is put yes. on that cattle. It's there for good. It belongs till the end, right? For sure. Um, also, Romans 8 is is key. Uh, there's this chain of events that happens. Uh, we see in Romans 8, uh, 29 to 30, to the believer, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, right? And that last part is key. Those who are justified by faith will be glorified, period. There's no, well, as long as this doesn't happen, you will be. But if you do this, if you sin too much, then you lose it. You're not justified anymore. Or, uh, you know, if you commit apostasy, if you start believing in false doctrines, well, then you lost it right? Or even if you reject Christ. Now that's, there's a little bit of uh, variation there. We don't have time to go into all the details. Some, you know, will say, well, if someone completely rejects Christ who once received him and believed him, uh, then he must not truly be, have been truly saved in the first place. Um, You know, and maybe that's true. That, That can happen, right? Maybe someone wasn't actually as we talked about earlier convicted of their sin and called and regenerated and and they didn't actually have faith right maybe for them it was just uh yeah sure i'll raise my hand i'm i believe that okay you know and and they didn't actually put their trust in christ um there's again some mystery there, some nuance there's we'll admit we don't have time for this but there are some passages that are a little difficult that do kind of maybe sound like People can lose their salvation, but I think all of these and others make it very clear that if you are truly saved, you cannot lose that salvation. God will not let you go. Um, Part of the thing too is sometimes some passages that are talking about losing rewards are misunderstood to meaning losing salvation. Sometimes Mm. the loss of fellowship is misunderstood for losing the relationship with Christ. Um, But as a whole, we affirm that these scriptures clearly teach uh, that we are eternally secure if we are believers in Jesus Christ and we don't have to worry that we're going to lose our salvation. We can have our confidence in him.
0: Yeah. The the, the price has been paid yeah. once for all by Christ and that, that's for good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, well that takes us to the final uh, part of, of his chapter and, and a doctrine that is intimately related to yes. eternal security, which is the doctrine of assurance of salvation.
0: Yeah. And assurance of salvation is basically the, the realization that you have eternal life. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're maybe doubting that, then you don't have that assurance of salvation. And there's there's one very key verse that I would always go to when it comes to <clears throat> the uh, assurance of salvation. And that's in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and 13. These two sometimes aren't connected, but I think they should be. This is what it says in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Right there, we're talking about our our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have it? If you do, you have eternal life. And then verse 13 says, I write these things to you. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So it's really quite simple. If you have the Son, if you've trusted in Him, you have eternal life. You can have that assurance. It's a sure thing. And this is such an important doctrine Mm -hmm. because You know, the amount of people that, uh, of Bible-believing Christians who have been riddled with doubts and uncertainty uh, because they don't have this assurance, it it can cause a lot of problems. It can cause trauma in people's Mm -hmm. lives, just like the constant wondering, am I saved? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I have eternal life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold it. Go back to the very basics of the gospel and, and ask yourself, have I believed upon, have I put my faith in Jesus Christ uh, and that he has died for my sins, taken those away and given me this gift of eternal life. Um, and, you know, if the answer to that is yes, you have done that, you're saved. You have assurance. That's all you need. And, uh, and man, like the confidence we should be able to have mm. as believers when we recognize that we should have this assurance uh, is, is amazing. You know, to, to live your life not constantly wondering and doubting, am I all of a sudden, like, when I die, like, if I died right now, am I going to go to hell? Like, what an unhelpful thought, mm-hmm. a terribly unhelpful. Uh, rather, we should be thinking, you know, if I if I die right now, would God be pleased with what I'm doing? That's a fine thing to ask, um, but not to ask, are we going to hell? Uh, no, we're going to heaven because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. It comes down to that, plain and simple.
1: Yeah, and basically those doubts come down to the fact that we're focusing too much on the self. Yes, too much on works, perhaps. Yeah, too much yeah. on works. Like, do I am I doing enough? Or, oh, look at all this sin in my life. Or, um, did did I have real quote unquote faith? Or what if my decision for Christ was fake? Or, you know, just all the no, like pray the pray the right. Prayer. Yeah, or, or I don't remember when it happened, or those kinds of things. And the bottom line, from as we see again in First mm-hmm. John five, is. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, right? Those who believe, believe what? Verse 12, right before it, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's, that's it. Look to the savior, look to the son, look to what he did to you. If you believe what he did for you, if you're trusting in that, and you know, it is nothing in yourself. It's holy what he's done for you. You can have confidence. Mm-hmm. You are saved and you can have assurance that if you are saved He will hold you to the end. You will be eternally secure. And and that too just makes such a big difference in our lives, right? It gives us a freedom. Uh, There's a story that's often used for this of um, apparently when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, uh, the work was going terribly slowly. And that's because some people had fallen to their death, some workers. And so they were all terrified. So they decided, well, let's put a net underneath the workers. Well, as soon as there was that net, that security, the the, uh, work got done at exponential speed because now they were secure, they were safe, and they could do the work without fearing. And that's the same. When we don't constantly fear and we're so introspective, am I really saved? Is my faith real? Blah, 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 blah. Do I have enough works? We'll never have the freedom to follow Christ faithfully, but rather we'll always be riddled with doubts. And and also just one last thing too, we then don't have to be afraid of death. Mm -hmm. But rather like Paul, we can say to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? He was confident in his security. And he was assured of it so that he could live and say, I'm going to live my life for Christ. If that means dying for him, so be it. Then I get to go be with him, which is far better. And what a difference that makes. Well, I think that's where we'll end today. Join us next time. And we will be discussing chapters 50, chapter 58 in the book, which addresses our favorite subject of all. What is the gospel? woo Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. Adios. Go in peace.